Welcome to the Food Professor Podcast, Season 3, Episode 20. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm the Food Professor, Sylvain Charlebois. Well, so then, greetings from the Restaurants Canada show here in Toronto. I've been wandering around, seeing a few friends, chatted with Michael Burgess from Nerpies. You remember uh, on the show not too long ago, Michael Pramucci from Mimi Foods, all the way back to yes. Season 1. Long time yes. ago. And I had the great opportunity guy. to chat with yeah, Great guy, great product. Uh, we'll be seeing him again, actually, at Seattle. So we're going to sit down with Michael uh, at Seattle. Actually, he's going to tell us what he's doing there, and he's got some new products. So uh, uh, shout out to folks. We'll be at Seattle. Don't uh, don't sleep on that opportunity. We're, we're the, we got a, a big fishbowl of a booth, and you can put headphones on and do our live <laughs> interviews. It's going to be a blast. Real looking it's going to be as big that. as yeah. last year? It's going to be bigger, actually. I've seen that, uh, you know, because we've got an audience. So what they did is they, they uh, at the last Seattle Montreal, they had an education session on the trade show floor, not in the off uh, room, so to speak. And then they had our podcast. But they, we decided to put the two of them together. So when we interview people, people can sit outside of our podcast studio and listen to the interviews live. Something fun, right? Uh, oh, so, that's, that's really yeah. great. That's really yeah. great. So we can wave at people and we can, yeah. we can do all those kind Get of things. Reactions and, and yeah, all questions. That, right? Oh, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. So it's going to be really fun. Uh, so Michael. We wave. Uh, yeah, well. we, could do, we could do the wave. <laughs> um, so Michael will be joining us on uh, in that and a bunch of other folks. So news to follow on that. And uh, ran into Christian, who's the uh, president and CEO of Restaurants Canada, newish. Uh, he came from yes. the supply chain. And you met him. I met him. Um, yes. And uh, he's, uh, he's, he's actually been, quite active on social media. He's been posting a lot of videos. He's doing a great job yeah. selling the RC show, which is great. Yeah. And speaking of which, so he's going to be on our podcast. So he said, yeah, I'd love to come join you on the podcast. So we'll get his impression of the show that was, I guess. And then what challenges and opportunities that the restaurant industry faces. I know they still face, you know, can they pay back Serbs and you know, tipping, and there's lots of interesting things we can uh, we can talk to Christian about. By the so. way, we're actually working on a new study on tipping. By the way, oh, the deflation issue, yeah. uh, you know, the aftermath a few years after COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're trying to figure out where Canadians are at in terms of uh, what yeah. they think about tipping, being mm-hmm. prompt before the service, uh, mm-hmm. percentages, things like that. Uh, so yeah, we're uh, exploring that with uh, our good partners, Cattle. Very good. Look forward to that. Uh, our very special guest joining us live uh, from Carolina, actually South Carolina, though she's based in North Carolina, is Katie Holtz, CEO of Grocery Shoppy. She is oh, a top, yeah. 10, uh, top 10 woman in grocery tech. She's solving a $550 billion problem in the CPG retail industry, reducing cart abandonment. I got to know uh, Katie introduced, uh, Steve Dennis introduced me to her. We chatted to her back at NRF, and then uh, we chatted at uh, Shop Talk recently. So I thought, what a great guest. Right. And it's a fantastic interview. I mean, I can't believe she's, she's top ten. She's number one in my book. Yeah, yeah, she's she's fantastic. Uh, Unbelievable. So great interview coming up. Uh, let's jump into the news. Um, so, what's this all about? An AI cookbook? Uh, who's behind this? And what's the objective? Uh, I went in and started tinkering with it a little bit. It, it was fun. Yeah. I got a bunch of questions for you. So, so I, tell the people what's going on here. The reason why I didn't talk to you about it is because I wasn't sure what's going to happen, to be mm-hmm. honest. Uh, we have, mm-hmm. We've been working on this for about six months now mm-hmm. uh, with different partners. Uh, uh, some came, some left. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end, uh, actually skipped the dishes, uh, actually uh, was able to uh, fund the project properly. We don't get any money out of this, the lab or myself. We don't get any money out of this. I was just asked to... 
advise the group in terms of mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. the cookbook should look like. It's called the Inflation Cookbook. It's so intuitive. I don't know what you thought about it, but it's pretty easy to use. Basically, all yeah. you do is you enter uh, the province you live in. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I, I told him, listen, if you want to get a tool to work, you need uh, it to be simple, as simple as possible. And don't ask for postal codes, don't ask for emails, don't ask for phone numbers, anything. It's AI. People are concerned. They just want to use a tool. And so basically, once you enter your uh, your the size of your household, uh, the province you're in, and the budget you have, you are prompt uh, with a top 10 list of things you need to avoid because they're too expensive that week in mm. your area. Mm -hmm. And the top 10 products that are really good deals for you in your area. And then you press the button, and it gives you seven recipes uh, based on... Uh, the cheapest ingredients in your area and the pictures you see hmm. are all uh, generated by AI as well. So it's great. Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of comments to the usability. Yeah, it was very easy. To, and the budget thing isn't like you got to think of a number. It's a slider. Uh, so you can say from, from X to Y, you kind of move it along. I moved it along the halfway point kind of thing. And it's by week. Now, question for you. I see, so it serves up, leave on the shelf, put in your basket, and it serves up a number of items and an arrow going up or down. Uh, some pretty big percentages. Now, is that week over week or year over year? I, where's that number? What does that number represent exactly? Well, so that number is, is, is for every week, uh, numbers will change. The data will actually change. Mm -hmm. and, and basically, the data comes from the internet. Uh, it scans data from all over the country from different uh, distributors and banners. And and I told them I advised them don't uh, don't promote brands don't promote categories yeah. don't promote companies try to make it as neutral as possible as generic as possible uh, and people will appreciate that because you're they're not they're not going to feel that they're actually being sold something yeah yeah and I so saw that's I why. saw like in mine I, I pressed it and I noticed brie cheese very generic term brie cheese had gone up thirty percent I'm like that's odd cheese doesn't really move that much in a week-to-week -week basis, but it, could it come of off deal in a cycle, an on deal, or, or what am I that, seeing here? That's, that's, that's likely the case. Uh, I haven't looked at, the, at, at Brie specifically, sure, but sure. Uh, I, I suspect that the, the week before, Brie was actually on sale in that area, or mm -hmm. generally speaking, and right. so that's why there's some adjustments. But it, it's also, um, it's based on a trend over several weeks, by the way. Okay, oh, okay. It's not just okay. one week, so yeah. And uh, you, it, it, because let's face it, the tool is not overly precise. It is quite possible. Let's say, for example, the 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 uh, the model tells you that mushrooms is up thirty percent. Okay, in your area, you may actually come in and find discounted map mushroom that is possible so we just wanted that's why i call it a a compass a grocery mm. compass to tell you what's going on from a macroeconomic perspective once you go into you should be expecting this to be expect this to be more expensive you should be expecting that to be less expensive but it doesn't necessarily mean that it will be less expensive right. or more expensive so it's not there's not there's no certainty to the inflation cookbook, but it does give a sense to people what's actually going on. 
Very interesting. Direction. And so our you partners are Skip the Dishes and Food, Food Banks Canada as well. So it was a great project. It was launched uh, on Tuesday. And so I'll, I'll write an op-ed in French and English to kind of explain how it works and, and, and explain also how it was designed. So a great, great. team overall. All right, we'll put a link in the show notes. And uh, Skip the Dishes had an article in the Globe. They got a uh, new president. Uh, you know, they Winnipeg-based uh, startup that bought by a big company out in uh, in Amsterdam runs under a couple of different banners. So the Canadians continue to go up the charts in terms of their uh, of their running the uh, the organization, the both broader one and the, and the closer one. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Skip and who else? Skip and the Food Banks Canada, right? Just- Food Banks Canada, that's right. And and I I, I did again. I, I didn't run the project. I did t- tell them you maybe you want to get a non for profit in there to show like an advisor. You were like an advisor. Yeah, the, the the philosophical intent of the tool. This is not about selling certain food. This is about helping Canadians overall. And Skip the dishes. You'll notice. They're not asking you for any information at all. They're just doing this to, of course, they're promoting their service, obviously. Order this uh, on Skip. Yeah, order this. Yeah, skip, and that, but uh, that's basically what they're doing. They're just using that platform as as an ad place. Okay. Well, uh, like I said, I'll put a link in the show notes for that. Uh, on to the next story. We've had several guests on the, on the show uh, talking about approaches to managing Canada's farmland. Uh, now, there's an RBC report just out. Uh, done in cooperation with folks at uh, Guelph, I believe, that says 40% of farm and, uh, operators... The Boston Group, yep. And, and BCG, okay. Uh, 40% of farm operators will retire over the next decade. Now, it's a pretty complex issue. What were your thoughts on the on the survey, and, and what do you think the implications well, I, I read the report, and, and frankly, uh, all due respect, I didn't really learn anything. I, I mm-hmm. think these are problems that we all know we're facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, are, are we going to be short of farmers no, because farms are getting bigger, and mm-hmm. and 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 farms are being operated differently. They're more efficient. They're more scalable. Um, I'm certainly concerned about farm uh, farm workers. I think we're going to be short of that. Uh, but when you think about how the uh, sector is being capitalized, to go back to what we discussed with both Robert and Christian a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can. I'm not. I'm not concerned that really we're going to run out of, of farmers or farmland. I think it's the stewardship, the way we actually manage farmland is absolutely going to change for the better. I think. And so, uh, are we going to lose farms? Absolutely. And I think it's desirable. I think that's what we need to do. Uh, and I'm. And it, there's always going to be some space for artisanship and and hobby farms. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean. I actually think that in in the policy that we have in Canada, we should get rid of the term uh, "family farm." Mm, uh, mm. It, it just it politicizes the issue of farming, and frankly, because herb people, city dwellers are saying, "Oh my God, we're losing family farms." No, we're sure. not. So the big I saw some of the comments on social media. The big corporations, the big, big corporations, corp- and uh, I, 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 which is which I is take, not an un, un, you know, from my perspective, it's not a. Um, I wouldn't say unfounded, but it's not something that people shouldn't think about because it, you know, you have this wildly produced generic product. Is it being, are they great caretakers of the land or are they more interested in shareholder value? So I think we've, we've had a couple of guests who explain the difference between those things. Is that your perspective as well? That, you know, if we eliminate the phrase family farms, it means companies run it, but companies are like our guests who, who are pretty good stewards of the land, right? 
Oh, absolutely. And uh, and they want they want to take care of the mm. land because they make money off the land. So uh, and hobby farms are great, too. I mean, we should actually allow people sure. to uh, want to go into farming, uh, but let, we should call them hobby farms like uh, and, and not, not family, family farm. farms per se, because that's I mean, I, I've met many farmers who couldn't scale up because of finances. They just couldn't. Mm. And and Robert, uh, companies like Roberts, Angel- yeah, Robert Angel- Angelic, yeah. It, it will will empower farmers to grow their business. And uh, and I know a lot of people out there think, well, farmers need to own the land to do be be good farmers. I, I don't believe that at all. Uh, they just need good support. They they just need good financial support so can they focus on what they do best, which is to grow food. Okay. Uh, well, from uh, the great farmers of Canada to the bottom feeders of Canada, let's talk about lobster. <laughs> uh, the you're, lobster. Uh, I love, you know, yeah. uh, maritime roots. So I love uh, love lobster. You're chitting and chatting with the folks from Lobster and Crustacean World in Halifax. What to uh, tell yeah, us about I, that? Yeah, I actually you, met, the, I met the... Yeah, I met the the top uh, lobster fisherman of the country in Halifax this week. It was great, uh, and and we just actually did a study on the lobster industry, what people think about the lobster industry, and uh, I mean there, there's a there's some good news and some bad news. The good news is that uh, people don't know much about the lobster industry at all. Mm. The bad news is that. People don't know much about the lobster industry at all. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really the challenge. And mm. so when when uh, we hear stories about uh, whales being uh, destroyed as a result of uh, of boats uh, out there in the Atlantic, uh, people will listen to the news and won't necessarily listen to the industry's case mm. about what's actually is going on. So I think there's an opportunity for the industry to upsell what they do and so lobsters are obviously we're not releasing uh, we're not releasing the data to the public simply because inflation is at 10 percent and and lobster let's face it lobster is a luxury product and so we just didn't want to I, we don't we didn't feel we didn't feel that people needed that kind of information but the lobster council needed that kind of information and they have some challenges around traceability sustainability uh, and economic development as well. I mean, there are some tensions right now between uh, between um, uh, the fishing community and Aboriginal communities, and, and I'm hoping that later we'll be able to partner with uh, some great Aboriginal researchers uh, to really get into to that sphere and understand what actually is going on there. Because uh, I, I think there's, I think the industry is up for for a challenge there. Yeah, well, uh, so uh, you're. I remember last year the prices were the good news, bad news. It's kind of like what you're saying. The good news is the prices are high. The bad news is the prices are high. When prices are high, it's a net export, so it's good. The, the fishermen can 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 make a good well, living. The people in the room this week, they're they're feeding China, right? They don't. Uh, right. But what what I what I actually told them uh, with our data is that yes, you're feeding China, but policies impacting your business. Uh, are influenced by public opinion domestically. Hmm. Okay, that's a okay. problem. All right. So, and and the Lobster Council, they've never thought of the game market. They never did. Interesting. Until now, because all of a sudden they're they're starting to see 
they're feeling the pressure from Ottawa to change their ways, to change mm. certain uh, rules. Uh, and, and these people have permits worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. So they, they have to listen to the game public. They have no choice. Mm. All right. Well, let's let's stay tuned to that. Uh, a story as rare as a blue lobster. You ever seen the blue lobster? Real blue lobster? Oh, yeah. Live blue lobster? A they're live some... one? Yes, of course. I'm in. I'm in Halifax. The blue <laughs> they're, lobsters. They're, they're right in. The, they're in every corner. They're on the street corners, right? It's exactly. When, and of course, for Toronto, we was hey, we found a blue lobster. Yeah. Yeah. We have whatever. Schmurfs, Schmurf yeah, lobster here everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, let's take a break and uh, let's get to our great interview with Katie Holtz uh, from Grocery Shop. You hear all about uh, her experiences, both as a female founder and as uh, machine learning and what she's doing to solve problems for consumers and grocers alike. So let's uh, have a listen to that. Katie, welcome to the Food Professor podcast this morning. How are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you for having me. Well, you're a familiar voice. Uh, you and I met earlier on in uh, at the NRF show with uh, Steve Dennis. We, we did some chit and chatting and then... Uh, we had the opportunity to meet at Chop Talk recently in Vegas, so I'm thrilled to have you on the mic with uh, Sylvan and I for our for our food podcast. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, listen, uh, I know a lot about you. Uh, very recently, I know a lot about you, but uh, of course, the listeners may or may not. So, uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you, and, and what do you do for a living? Sure. So, um, I am Katie Hotes. I'm the founder and CEO of Grocery Shopping. And um, I have spent the last four years building a uh, recipe technology and meal planning business um, within this lovely uh, food and beverage and grocery space. And uh, we're based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I am a digital marketer by trade. And um, I've really set off to take meal planning and integrate it into the grocery shopping experience so that all busy people um, can get through meal planning and online grocery shopping in five minutes flat. That is my passion. Mm-hmm. Um, it, is a, it is a profitable business, but it is also a passion that drives me every single day to make sure this convenience is rolled out to all those who need it. Well, tell us a bit more about yourself. How did you get in? How did you, like, I know you and you, and you can look at your background. We'll, we'll put that link in for yeah. the listeners. You're very talented person. You're very experienced um, and you've got a lot of skills. Why did you, were you, were you drawn to this opportunity and were you drawn when you were young into this line of work? I mean, you're like a data scientist and, and business and data. Was Did that come naturally for you or how did you flex to that? Uh, yeah. So um, I spent 18 years in management and technology consulting. Um, I was a, I started out really the dawn of digital marketing, right? Like 2008, I was in event planning and it was the first industry that was really disrupted by uh, digital. Um, instead of going from paper invitations, they took you digital. And, um, and I just have, so I happened to be in the industry that was, you know, impacted early. Um, I was the bottom of the food chain. There's no one beneath me. And mm-hmm. so when things went wrong, I'm the person that everyone came like flying down the hall at going, fix it. And so I learned how to code HTML really, really mm-hmm. early. And then you start to understand how digital works. And you're, you can actually quantify engagement. You can actually like track and trigger and, and, and get someone through a nurturing cycle without ever talking to them. It's fascinating. And you can also, if you, I'm a highly competitive person personally and professionally. And when you're that type of person, you actually can compete with yourself. It's amazing. So, mm. um, so that's how it all kind of happened inside the doors of a fortune joiner company. Um, I went from a associate up to being up for partner and, um, and I built performance marketing globally for the company. I finished my MBA. Um, I have a, an extra additional degree in data analytics and I decided to start solving problems that were personal to me. 
Hmm. So the, the most personal was that I was uh, sitting on a train every day going in and out of Chicago for work. And I never had a game plan for dinner. And it was just so ridiculous because before I had children, I always had a game plan. And on Sunday, I would take my recipes and I would jot down all the ingredients and I'd go to the store and buy it all. And I'd come in at 5.30 every day and, and I just grabbed the recipe that I wanted to grab and everything was already in my fridge. It was super easy. But all of a sudden, like add two kids to that. And, you know, at the time I had a husband who traveled full time. It was, it was impossible. And so every day I was coming home with no game plan and, but I'm sitting on the train with all these really smart women and we would just start like brainstorming. And, Mm. you know, I just happened to be the one that had the chops to build it. So Mm. here I am. You've told us a bit about the origin story and kind of that, that inspiration moment. Um, And, and why did you pick that and what, how does it work and what, you know, what problem are you solving specifically? So for the listeners, unpack it for us. um, What exactly your tool does? Sure. So, um, so we remove the friction in the basket building process. That is the core problem. You go on to an uh, e-commerce site for groceries and you stare at it. And um, then on all these other sites, there's recipes everywhere. They're all over the internet. Recipes are free, right? And there's no shortage of recipe content, but I'm staring at a itemized um, list of 40,000 items on my local neighborhood grocer's website. And I have no idea what to add. That is the problem I solve for. Um, back in the day, I had girlfriends that would bring me recipes, like literally printouts, or they'd text them to me. And I'm like, this is absurd. I still have to go query all these items. Then I have to find the recipe when it's time to make it. It, it was just a nightmare. That is exactly why we exist um, I was going on to the websites for some of the brands who actually work with us today and I'd see their recipes. I'm like, I just need those recipes, but I just need to click them and like add them to my cart. Um, you can, but it would be only clickable with like one large, glo- you know, national grocery chain, nothing else. And so, um, you know, my neighborhood grocer wouldn't qualify if you will. So I had to, I really went to build it so that the neighborhood grocers were empowered with the same type of technology that a national grocer would have for meal planning. And um, when you click on a recipe link on a grocer's site, it's, it takes you to just stagnant data. It's like the same 100 or 300 recipes that have been on there for 10 years. It's broken links. Um, there's no thoughtfulness to the delivery of the content. There's no validation to the content. It's just, just random recipes. And so we built a platform that is API-driven, cloud-native, machine learning enhanced, and it is fueled with recipes from top food bloggers and top food brands. Those recipes are dynamic. Every time you're coming in, you're looking at fresh recipe content. Um, The essence of ML is a sheet of paper. Think of a blank sheet of paper the first time you come in. And we start to learn you by your clicks and your expanded recipe views and what you add to your meal plan. You're building your meal plan. Um, Thinking about a meal plan for the week allows the shopper to think holistically about what do I need for the week, right? This is not about getting me through Tuesday. This is about like, oh, I can actually add three or four recipes to my cart and I only have to do this once a week. That's amazing, right? We get a 18 to 30% larger cart as a result. And so our shoppers um, take the recipes. They, they can dive in if they so choose. They can remove an item if they so choose, but they can add it to their meal plan with a single click. In the meal plan experience, we have a proprietary piece of technology that will show you 
everything you've purchased in the last 90 days against your aggregate list of recipes you've added to your cart. You can remove everything with a single click um, or you can go through and itemize. You already have olive oil. You already have salt and pepper. Um, Almost 65% of the items in any single recipe, you already have in your pantry or your fridge. So we have this tool that's going to help remove those for you thoughtfully really quickly. And then you just push everything to cart. We use a three-pronged decision-making algorithm that is proprietary. It leans heavily on private label and it allows the shopper to continue their journey because we are a very narrow tech platform. So we actually live inside of that tech stack. We're simply expediting the front end of the shopping journey. Um, every Once the shopper's um, items are pushed into their cart, our job is done. We either email you or text you the recipes based upon your request and you get to keep shopping. That is very unique. If anyone's experienced the B2C apps out there, they're skimming and they're pushing and you have to check out. Um, but with ours, you can go get the granola bars, go get the cereal and the milk and all the other a la carte items. But we've created all the value for you and giving you the meals for the week. And that is the hardest part. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> In terms of maintenance, uh, how much time do you need to devote to the maintenance of the system itself every week? To, to keep it updated and or does it all do it by itself oh goodness nothing happens by itself <laughs> <laughs> i you, assume not only i mean your question i can answer two ways a, a there's just that the process of, of operations but b it's also like innovation is imperative I mean, look around. I mean, shoppable media is everywhere. Um, Continuing to evolve the system, um, adding video content, um, making sure that we understand the types of campaigns, the types of content the shoppers are looking for and continually changing it, keeping it fresh. That's who we are. That's what we do. It's the value that we deliver to our our brand and retail clients. And so that is, um, it can be a high maintenance beast, right? Um, We've got a recipe operations team. They are amazing. Um, Over 75% of that team alone is um, current or former food bloggers. And so they're food editors. They know food inside and out. These are the people who are coordinating all the recipe content. They're the ones that are coming to us going, sriracha, add sriracha to anything. Today, it's going to explode. Um, Poppy seed is on the cusp, right? We think poppy seed's the next big trend. Um, air fryers are still in every household. We need to be talking more about air fryers. It, it's, it's staying on top of the trends. This is how you take a grocer that's existed for a hundred years and their current client base is now empty nesters. They need to go back and capture the young parents um, to get their greatest economic opportunity for growth right? They're not going to stay alive on the empty nesters. And so we give them the type of tech that allows those young shoppers to come in really quick. I mean, our core, our core shopper base is male and female, 34 to 44 years old. They have a baby in the home and they need fast meal solutions and we're here for it. Right. And that's the business case for brands and grocers, I assume. That's what you present to them when you talk about grocery shopping. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, when you talk to anyone about removing friction from a basic building process, they pull up a chair, right? Everyone knows it is a. When I came into this industry, when I started, I, I'm a consultant, right? So I approach things in my own little nerdy way. And the data told me that there was a 78% card abandonment rate specific to grocery. Um, that's a McKinsey figure. Um, May of 2020, it spiked to 85%. So when you have fear driving people online to grocery shop because they're they're afraid for their life if they go in a grocery store, the the cardamom rate actually went up instead of down. That's 
bewildering. And that if, if anything highlights a problem, there, there you go. And so um, to me, coming in and being able to solve for the basket building process is imperative. Um, one of the greatest issues with grocers is that when the shopper goes from in the store to online, they go red. How do you fix that? How do you create, the, how do you create a profitable online basket? right? How do, how do you create more value for your brands? The brands are dying to get closer to that shopper. And so you're really just creating a perfect storm where everyone wins in this, um, this opportunity to take a shoppable media platform. And we already capture the shoppers. When a shopper uses my platform, they come back to that grocer's homepage four times more often. That is just natural organic response rates, right? And, and so you're creating this incredible stickiness, and uh, so the value for the brand, for the, for the retailers is just right there at the front door. I mean, we, we report out 42% of our shoppers every day return shoppers. I mean, we, we just have a really, really sticky platform. Um, but then the brands are actually getting up close and personal with that shopper. They're understanding, you know, what the top recipes are, top performance rates, you know, what kind of, what kind of recipe do you need to create moving forward to get higher, more optimized outcomes digitally? This right. is a new world, right? The, yeah. This is not the William Sonoma cookbook I got when I got married, right? <laughs> Things have changed for yeah. sure. Yeah. You, you got to adopt. You cannot put a, a 25 ingredient recipe in front of me online. I'm not going to add it to my cart. Yeah. No, a great story. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk more about yourself as a female entrepreneur. Uh, you're in the food space. Uh, you've done a lot of business already. You're successful. Tell us more about uh, you know some of your experiences in uh, in the pitch room or dealing with customers. Uh, what what how is it to be a successful female entrepreneur running a uh, a startup like yours? Um, gosh, uh, early on it was really really tough. Um, I don't hide that. There it was really evident that the problem that we solve with meal planning online was not a known problem to um, a, a kind of a, um, a more further along in their career, typically a man around a boardroom table for a grocery retailer. And right. so um, that, that was also a similar story to tell to the investors who often are the exact same persona, um, kind of a late, later in life, you know, ready to write checks and, and um, support other companies. But is this really a problem? Um, that was really tough. A pandemic solved that for me, which was lovely. It, all of a sudden, everyone's stuck in the kitchen. And I, three months into the pandemic. Your, audio, I, your, your audience grew. Yeah. Oh, well, well the phone, all, everyone I had pitched to raise money, we were, we were self-funded for years. Uh, we bootstrapped for almost two years. Um, but all of a sudden, you've got these investors that we pitched to, and they're like, oh, meal planning, I don't know. Is this, you know, gosh, I like it, but... And, oh, I mean, but every every presentation, the investor would bring his wife to the call, every single one. And I got the checks every time. <laughs> I just, it is what it is, right? I mean, you, you all of a sudden, you know, you're stuck in the kitchen for a couple months. And you're like, hey, who, who, who's that company, right? Where there's women. Now, now I get it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. If you didn't get it, I'm sure you um, all of a sudden those guys were stuck in the kitchen as well because you had to share the role. So it, it was really interesting. Um, in terms of, um, of pitching and growing, we are a Southeast tech company. We did not have the big million dollar backing in you know, millions, plural, um, coming into this. We were bootstrapped. Um, 
I was very conservative raising. I wanted to be really careful with making sure we figured out who we are and what we do before we raised a bunch of capital. Um, getting to where we are now, it's been the ride of my life. I've never had more fun. I've never worked so hard. Um, but we're really in a place now where it's evident that we have a unique pocket. And so um, being able to, um, you know, being able to, to, to get the support of, of investors and get the support. Really, I have a ton of people from the industry who've invested in us. And that's inbound. They just reach out to me and ask if they can write a check. And it's, it's amazing because you realize that you, you, it's such validation on, on, on a level that it's really hard to describe. Um, so at this point today, um, I, I'm constantly trying to stay ahead of the curve, making sure that we are the leader in, in shoppable media with recipes and allowing us to just grow as quickly as we can in a healthy way and, um, and really just serve that shopper. At the end of the day, it, as long as that my core shopper is satisfied with our services, I know that I'm going to keep winning. And you know that the brands and the grocers are going to keep winning, right? So that tr- perfect oh, trifecta. Yeah. Listen, if you, if you make that shopper happy, no one will ever understand what it felt like. This is net new technology. Mm-hmm. So when we plugged it in and I held my breath, <laughs> and the data came back three months later, and mm-hmm. we—I was told if we could create a five to ten percent larger basket online, we had just just changed the game. Yeah. Our first data report was nine percent larger baskets. Mm-hmm. The second data report three months later was eighteen percent. Pre-inflation, we hit thirty percent. It—it's just—it's solving a problem. It's—it's it's that simple. And so when you solve the problem and you listen and they know, and we have an inbox where shoppers can just share exactly what they want us to do. It, mm. it just, it's amazing. Mm. It, it just, it's customer discovery in a constant loop. You and I were both at uh, shop talk, as I said, in Vegas. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think the big buzz this year was, uh, was AI, which is funny because it's been around for a long time, but I guess <laughs> at chat GPT really kind of broke open the conversation. Could I say? Uh, it must have been a bit of an I told you so moment. I mean, really, AI was prominent. You've talked about machine learning in your tool. What, what does the future look like? Uh, what's in the lab, so to speak, for, for you? And, and kind of what's next from, a, from an AI perspective? Are you, are you already there with where you want to be with AI? Or do you see the tool getting oh uh, be- Listen, bigger and better? The applications are practically endless. We had, a, we had a, a late night call last night about using an AI tool for, for a better matching system for products. I mean, it, uh, my guys continue to call me with like these new tools. It's, it's these like micro solutions to mm. micro problems, but have a really big impact. Um, so th- that kind of stuff, th- those applications go all day. What I think is really cool though, like if you think about, think about the problem first and then the solution, right? So the problem is, um, I need my meals planned for the week. Mm-hmm. I also have the items that are on regular. I have the same brand of granola bars that my eight-year-old will only eat that brand of granola bar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, we only buy coconut milk in my house. Uh, I buy bananas every single week. I have so many items that are on repeat that when you take the repeat items, you partner them up with meal planning. And then you think about trials. I think trials are really important. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the new products coming out? We, we sit on all that correlation data. So we, I know exactly which personas, which, which buying groups to start testing new products with. When you th- so think about that trifecta. That, to me, allows me to never enter a grocery store again. You've just solved that problem for me. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's plenty of other you know, ways, ways to spirit that. So, all right, so now take AI and apply it to it. So AI is going to allow me to figure out my meal plan for the week. AI tools allow me to find new foods right? My family likes to eat X, Y, and Z. What other foods should we be trying? What other um, ethnic types of cuisine should we be trying? 
right? Um, think about utilizing existing ingredients. Go, go to ChatGPT and say, listen, I've got, I'm looking at chicken and cilantro and half a bottle of peanut sauce left. What can I do with this, right? Utilizing existing so, items. Yeah. So yeah. interesting. And, and you mentioned uh, earlier on about uh, private labels, which, of course, uh, the ears would perk up from the grocers to saying, wait a minute, you, I could suggest or substitute my, my private label item potentially, which, um, which is kind of a clarion call for better, for better margin. Now, what's, what's next for you and, and, and grocery shopping? You are, uh, you're based in the States, but do you, do you work internationally? Talk uh, to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we um, so what's next for us is really just capitalizing on this moment. Um, we know that we're unique. We know that we um, we we bring a tremendous amount of value, and um, we have been building in the independent space. We're now sort of continuing to grow into the larger regional space, which is very exciting for us. Um, we're pretty geographic agnostic. Um, we do have we have several um, international opportunities spinning up. Um, the catch with um, an international opportunity is both language and metric, um, cooking metric. And so um, it's allowing us to just continue the process of connecting the brands to grocers with these campaigns that actually work. You, you get into the grocer's tech stack. We're allowed, you know, we can get a recipe to the finish line very, very quickly. Um, so now we can, the brands can start adding recipes to the front end of the experience. And I think that's that's the really exciting part for us. Um, in terms of growth, I have no ego. Um, I'm just simply here to continue building this company. Um, the right opportunities we pursue um, we've I've had wonderful conversations with Canadian grocers, um, and we will continue to pursue uh, and see how quickly we can get our tech into Canada as well. But yeah, it's it, there's so much business opportunity and so much need to satisfy um, where we are today that we just continue churning forward. It's it's really just a matter of making sure that our offering continues to be um, articulated properly. So like the value proposition is really, really crystal clear. And um, when you sell into retailers and to brands, you need that that's just imperative that, that each party understands where they stand, what their opportunity is and and how they fit into that whole equation. That's great. Uh, well, how can we get in touch with you? Uh, how can we get more information about your company uh, as Canadians? Uh, do you have it? I'm, I'm actually looking at your website right now. It's gorgeous. Uh, so tell us more about that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so groceryshoppy.com. That's grocery shop. I, I, Dot com. We have a contact form on there. So please you know, feel free to fill that out. That goes straight to my leadership team to pursue. I'm also on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. Um, it is Katie H. Hotz. Um, and I welcome any sort of um, uh, introductions on, link- on LinkedIn. Um, I am on LinkedIn every single week sharing information. And so um, I think it's just a really great place to stay connected. That's great. Uh, listen, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. I know you have a, a very busy life, and uh, so we're grateful that uh, you were able to spend a few minutes with us on the uh, Food Professor podcast today. Oh, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. All right. Well, great interview with, uh, with Katie. I mean, just so much energy, and uh, you can see and feel the energy she brings to both uh, the inspiration of the product and and to pitches. So we'll put links to grocery shopping and you can experience it at yourself. And if you're a grocer, uh, get in touch with Katie. She has a lot to learn from her and her team. Let's talk about uh, play ball. The Blue Jays are back. Black They're in Toronto. Back. The boys of summer are back in town. The boys of summer. Uh, the Rogers Center has gone a, an under, has gone a $300 million retrofit, bringing the fans closer to the action. Now, 
The one thing, I mean, when I went to see the games, uh, they had great peanuts, um, fantastic peanuts, uh, actually best I've ever had. But for somebody who does a ranking of food overall at baseball <laughs> parks, and they ranked 25th in the Major League Baseball, like, um, w- maybe that's yeah, the opportunity I, I, for them. I, like, a what, big, big baseball there? fan, I think last year, I went to all stadiums and ranked stadiums based on their <laughs> on, on his food experience. And, uh, and the Rogers Center actually ranked 25th overall. Which is mm. which is not great. And no. don't ask me actually who came in first because I didn't look. I just yeah. looked at uh, Toronto and their twenty fifth. They needed help. They needed a change, and a lot of the changes that uh, we're going to see this year has a lot to do with food. So there's a Corona place. Uh, there's going to be uh, cheap hot dogs for. I, I, they're actually democratizing. Mm. Um, seats uh, you can actually this is something i saw in tampa bay last year when i went right. to see the blue jays right you, you don't have to buy seats you can just walk around yeah yeah you know yeah, which is really something millennials want to do or or the young generations want to do because uh who wants to sit for three hours in a seat yeah i so bring a newspaper makes, I bring a magazine. It, might, it makes yeah. total sense to me. So, so, and of course, in those areas like the Corona Place, I think that's what they call it. Uh, you can walk around, eat, and and feel like you're in a bar, but you're there in the action, which is really great. And of course, um, I heard that there are there are going to be they're going to be launching some new dishes mm. just at the Rogers Center. And uh, I if you want to get people engaged, you got to do it with food. I've, I was always. I've been to the to Blue Jays games several times in my career, uh, in my life, and I've I've never been I've I've always been underwhelmed, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. yeah. Plus, it's uh, boy, it's a lot of money uh, as well. So it's a lot gotta, of money. Yeah. So might as well, quality. if you're going to pay for you know if you're going to pay for that and you got to pay for uh, you're going to get better get quality anyway. Because in some stadiums them, you, you do know? have a lot of choice, lots of choice, and healthy choices, not so healthy choices. At the Rogers Center, it's pretty tough to get some variety. Well, good luck to the uh, to the Jays this year, and uh, I keep okay. hoping. Okay, Blue okay, Jays. I keep hoping for uh, the Expos to come back. They were my first uh, baseball team. Spent lots of times at the Big O when I lived in Ottawa, going to Just see the Expos. Go to Washington. Um, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> well, listen. Last, last but not least, uh, the top ten. Most reputable companies uh, released by uh, Leger, and uh, there's yes. some food companies in there. Uh, Costco, Shoppers, Dollarama, all who have food make the top ten. So uh, any, yeah, it's a YouTube and Google being number one, uh, which is so interesting. No grocers actually came in the top ten, but Shoppers, Dollarama, uh, mm. they made it to the top ten as well. Uh, interesting. Uh, Leger Leger does uh, does a survey every year. It's been 28 years now. And Costco also made the top 10. So it shows – so people are looking for convenience, uh, but they're also looking for some deals. Uh, I think prices and inflation drove uh, drove results this uh, this year, I think. That's what's well, going I, on. Yeah, I think shoppers benefits from uh, – they did well during the pandemic and taking care of Canadians and you can go get your shot. I had my I had both my flu shot and my latest COVID shot at, at Shoppers. A great experience. Costco, of course, what is it, number four, number five, biggest grocer? Yep. So, uh, you know, they make a lot of uh, – they, 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 they move a lot of – Hot dogs for $1.50. They move a lot of roast, rotisserie chickens too. So um, For $8. So, lost lead in the front? Lost leader in the back. There you go. 
Uh, well, listen, uh, great episode, and uh, thanks to our guests. We'll put lots of links in the show notes uh, for all the people, and uh, safe travels, I guess, uh, when you get back on the road. I'm on the road. I'm not on the road, actually, but uh, I'm with uh, in week after I'm in Barcelona, so we'll be live from Barcelona. But until then, I'm Michael LeBlanc, consumer growth consultant, podcaster, keynote speaker, and you are? I'm the food professor, Sylvain Chalabois. All right, safe travels, everyone, and Sylvain, catch you soon. Take care.